Jan Swift, and you're listening to Discover Lafayette, a podcast dedicated to the people and rich culture of Lafayette, the gateway to South Louisiana. We record Discover Lafayette with the support of Raider, a managed IT service provider that offers world-class service, including cybersecurity, communications, and technology support. With Raider, you have just one vendor and one number to call, allowing you to concentrate on what is most important, your business. For more information, visit RaiderSolutions.com. The generosity of Oxner Lafayette General makes this podcast possible. As Acadiana's largest regional health system, the organization has more than 5,500 employees and includes eight hospitals, more than 100 clinics, urgent cares, and professional centers. Its flagship hospital, Oxner LGMC, is the region's only level two trauma center and one of two teaching hospitals in Acadiana. Oxner Lafayette General strives to put patients first and makes caring their top priority. In continuous efforts to reach more patients, Oxner Lafayette General maintains its commitment to keeping care local and making healthcare more accessible for everyone. For more information, please visit oxner.org slash Lafayette. Today's podcast is brought to you by Lafayette-based Vimed, a national leader in post-acute respiratory care and sleep therapy. If you're struggling to get a good night's sleep, you may have undiagnosed sleep apnea. Vimed, right here in Acadiana, can assist with in-home sleep testing, CPAP equipment, and a personal sleep coach. For existing CPAP users, Vimed can help you maintain a restful sleep schedule through supplies and maintenance tips. Visit vimed.com forward slash sleep or call 866-852-8343 for more details. Melinda Taylor, Executive Director of Habitat for Humanity since 2000, joins us today to share the work of her organization. Many thanks to Jason Sikora for recording our interview today. I've had the pleasure of working with Melinda in several volunteer and professional capacities. Through her, I have witnessed firsthand the joy that comes from helping deserving people achieve homeownership at an affordable level that is sustainable. Neighborhoods such as Macomb Vise and Laplace in the downtown urban core area have experienced game-changing revitalization through the dedicated focus of Habitat for Humanity. People in Acadiana and all over the world partner with Habitat to build or improve a place they call home. Habitat homeowners help build their own homes alongside volunteers, and they pay an affordable mortgage. With the help of Habitat for Humanity and many volunteers, Habitat homeowners achieve the strength, stability, and independence they need to build a better life for themselves and their families. They can finally build generational wealth and turn around the fate of themselves and their families. So Melinda Taylor, I've been really looking forward to having you on the show, and uh, I want to tell you before we start speaking and getting ready to interview you today, I typed in your name, and guess who came up? Me and you, back in uh, 2016. Yep. <laughs> looking good, you it's know. still out there. <laughs> yep, still out there, Upper Lafayette on the move. And we had a fun, short interview. Jason, I did this show for about nine years to promote Upper Lafayette, but I think your message is still the same, but you've taken on a lot more. So I'm looking yes. forward to you updating us on what Habitat is up to. It's great to be here, and I'm looking forward to giving you that update. Yeah, so 2000, you're a um, Kansas native. Yes. So what brought you here? 
a series of moves. So <laughs> I hadn't been in Kansas for quite some time, but I had moved to Arizona and then to Mississippi and f- from Mobile to South Louisiana. Wow. And so a whole lot of trailing spouse kind of moves. Oh, I see. And, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> that we won't go into. But yeah, we won't go into all of that. But <laughs> the upshot is I started working for Habitat back in 1994 um, in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and was the executive director of a small affiliate, really mm-hmm. the first employee uh, of that affiliate, and worked there for several years, then had a couple of intermediate moves, mm-hmm. ended up over here. And my real estate agent was on the board of the Habitat affiliate at that time here, and they were looking for their first full-time executive director, which is mm-hmm. what I had done in Mississippi. Yeah. And one thing led to another, and here I am. God, we've been fortunate. 24 years later. 24 years, though, but that yes. depth of knowledge is invaluable. Because yeah, well, I know this isn't easy. I mean, you work with people quite a while to build them up, right, to get them ready for homeownership. Yeah, it's a long-term engagement with the families that we work with. They're mm-hmm. partners in every aspect of the the process, but that partnership involves usually a pretty long ramp up. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the beginning, really, it's just a, a an it's a signed agreement, but not a legal contract. It's just a partnership agreement that we have with them, um, where they set out on their journey to mm-hmm. get from where they are as a tenant to being prepared for homeownership. And between what they have to do, all of the education that they go through and the process of helping build homes, and what we have to do, which is get the funding together, yeah. get the building of the house um underway and then completed, Mm -hmm. uh, it can take anywhere from, I think the very shortest partnership we've ever had was something like eight months. Oh, that is Uh, But that's very unusual. More likely, it's going to be 18 months to two years. And depending on which lot they select, uh, it could be even longer than that Mm -hmm. because of our build schedule. Right. So who is your typical recipient or or, um, client, I guess, that you work with? Who, Who comes to Habitat for assistance? So mostly the folks we work with are people who wouldn't be able to access the commercial mortgage market. And, of course, we serve as both a contractor and the lender for our homes. And we do manual underwriting for our mortgages. So our folks may have decent credit scores, but they may have no credit score at all. Uh, And sometimes they may have some negative credit issues that they work with through the partnership. But um, it's people who really have the capacity to make a regular payment for their monthly rent mm-hmm. um, and maybe paying more than they actually end up paying for their Habitat home in rent because right. our market has gone really through the roof in terms of the cost to rent a place. But um, it's just folks who have not been able to find their way into homeownership through conventional mm-hmm. means. So um, a lot of, our, of course, the, the folks we work with generally make less than 80% of the area median income here. So mm-hmm. they're low to moderate income families, but with steady income and a willingness to partner with us and to work towards mm-hmm. the goal of homeownership. You know, there's such a lack of affordable housing. And I know in our market and probably across the U.S., you know, so sometimes people would talk about homes under 300000 but that's out of reach for mm-hmm. so many people, especially single moms with young children that yes. are trying to make ends meet. Our market, like even the rental market, is so expensive. Yeah. So you're saying that they could really be spending a lot more on rent than being able to get into a home that they own and build equity. Right. And it's it's really kind of a um, 
no-win situation for a lot of mm-hmm. people because they're paying, if they're paying market rate rent, they're frequently paying more than a third of their income, sometimes half or more of their monthly income for just to keep a roof over their heads if it's a decent roof. And the other side of that is if they're paying something that's more affordable, frequently where they're living is a substandard mm-hmm. home that they're renting. I know that we're marketing your services today, but how do you reach out to the community? Is there like do people know about this program that qualify, or do you have to go call on groups and promote your work? Yeah, we take applications periodically. Um, we announce well ahead of time when we're going to open up for applications again, but a lot of it's word of mouth. Our mm-hmm. current homeowners are some of our best advertising agents, yeah. but we also have a process that uh, actually gets the word out via all different sorts of media. We do mm-hmm. press releases. We do all of the morning shows. Um mm-hmm. We send out notifications to partner agencies, and of course, we're all over social media with mm-hmm. it, just getting the word out so that we have an affirmative marketing plan to get the word out to people who might not hear about it otherwise. So we reach out through all different kinds of channels, and of course, we get way more applications than mm-hmm. the number of people we're able to work with. And unfortunately, a lot of those folks have a lot more work to do than they could do yeah. during the period of a partnership with us, so we refer for them to other organizations who can help them maybe get to the point where they reapply. And we do yeah. have people reapply. To help their credit scores mm-hmm. and all that. Right. Yeah. To, and again, we don't look at the score per se, but we do look at negative credit. And of course, if somebody has things like judgments or mm-hmm. liens, then we can't work with them to sell them a property until they get those things cleared up. Right. Right. I saw on Facebook, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, but uh, Catalyst Bank was one. I know you have a lot of volunteers in the community that have a good time helping, like, you know, like I've done Mm -hmm. things before. They never let me paint. I've I've done hammering and, you know, like— Everybody thinks they can paint, but really not very many people can. I'm not good. I don't don't Mm -hmm. think it's very difficult, and that's for people more skilled than I am. But it's so much fun helping Habitat and then to see the potential homeowner— working right alongside volunteers. Talk about that. Yeah. So you've been a Women Build, I think, team captain in Mm -hmm. the past and have worked with us on site. And we're in the midst of Women Build right now, which is an annual initiative that empowers women and also invites men to join Mm -hmm. them uh, on the construction site, working physically on the houses, but also contributing towards the cost of building the home. Mm -hmm. So this year, we're building the largest home we've ever built. It's a five-bedroom house for a family of 10. What? So, where is that? Uh, it's in Macomb Vise, uh, actually where we're— Five bedrooms. Yeah, on Frank Street um, in the Macomb Vise like neighborhood. They're usually like three, two, huh? Like, yeah, yeah, typically we do build four bedrooms, but uh-huh. two, three, and four bedrooms yeah. are more of our typical Man. sizes. So this one was special. But um, the single mom with nine kids. <laughs> oh, no. And, wow. Yes. Um, and, you know, very excited and eager to partner. <laughs> yes, she is definitely a trooper. <laughs> Has really a very solid um, job that mm-hmm. she does. And. Uh, is, of course, excited about being able to move into a home of her own. But, yeah, yeah, volunteers, to your point, really drive our work um, Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. They're the engine that keeps things going, not just construction site, but also at our resale store. Yeah. Um, So 
people do work on site. We have regular volunteers from the university, and of mm-hmm. course, the future homeowners themselves work out there alongside our right. crew. Yeah, it looks like so much fun. I mean, you know, I, I never really looked at myself, but looking at the faces from Catalyst, and just because I'm mm-hmm. friends with Sheila Thibodeau and that group, but they just yeah. were having a ball. It was yeah, people wonderful. really, I mean, report back to us that they have a great time and they mm-hmm. learn things oh, yeah. that they sometimes bring back yeah. in subsequent volunteer engagements with mm-hmm. us, which of course we love. Yeah. Um, when people come back. But yeah, we work with volunteers of any skill level. So I mean, I mean to, any. Yeah. <laughs> any skill level. <laughs> to work with Habitat, yeah. to be an employee of Habitat on the construction mm-hmm. site, to be one of our site staff, you really have to have not only the ability to do the work yourself, but to teach it mm-hmm. and to be patient and work Very with patient. volunteers. Yeah. And that's kind of our um, you know, that's the way we roll on the site. We will teach you whatever you need to know, and mm-hmm. we'll keep working with you until you get it. Right. And are you shift into the day? You know? <laughs> yeah. And our I'm quality. Too con- much yeah. No, no. Our quality control is really. I, I mean, I would put us up against any yeah. other home builder mm-hmm. um, here for the type of home that we build. Um, I think the fit and finish and the quality of what we do is excellent. Beautiful homes. And it's because of the staff that we have, and because mm-hmm. of the love and the care that they put into it, and all the volunteers who work with right. us doing the same. Right. Well, several years ago, you know this. I used to work. Um, I helped. Office of Community Development. And in the past, before they partnered, before LCG partnered with Habitat, they were build, designing and building the homes. And then mm-hmm. it came about that it was much more efficient to partner with Habitat for Humanity and work as a team. Mm-hmm. So I'd like you to explain to people where a lot of your funding come from, comes from. I want to bring in Restore in a little bit. But how does Habitat operate? Where do you get money to do what you do yeah. and loan you know, um, Mm -hmm. prepare loans for people. Yeah, it's a lot of different sources, um, but we get, we have a great partnership and a longstanding one with Lafayette Consolidated Government's Department of Community Development and Planning. And LCG and the council, of course, approves this, Mm -hmm. has for the past probably at least, I want to say, more than 10 years, actually. I think starting around 2008, 2009, Uh, began actually um, giving us home grants. It's a partnership that funding comes through um, that department um, from HUD, Mm -hmm. which is earmarked for the construction of affordable housing. With restrictions. Yeah, Yeah. with restrictions. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we were sort of an ideal partner for that. And we began basically transitioning that work because we can leverage those funds and we don't ever get enough to build the whole house Mm -hmm. as part of that grant opportunity, but we can leverage it with other resources that we get, in-kind donations, other donations, the mortgage payments that we get, um, and leveraging our mortgage portfolio to actually put money that the homeowners are paying back into the process. Uh So as they make their payments, they're really paying it forward because that's reinvested in the program. So um, all of that goes into building our homes. And of course, they're designated for people who wouldn't be able to access the commercial mortgage market, Mm -hmm. uh, people 80% AMI or below, um, and sold to those folks. And then, of course, the money is recycled. But that has been a really great um, 
capacity-building mm-hmm. opportunity for us. It's allowed us to build many more homes. Right. I think we would only get like five or six done a year, you know, because it, it takes mm-hmm. time right. to build it, these homes. It does. And, you know, now we're our aim is to get to pretty much the, the 10 house a year mark. Mm-hmm. And we're also doing some owner-occupied repairs. We're beginning to move into that area because we recognize we work in focused areas in Macomb Vise where mm-hmm. we started focusing after that conversation we had on the podcast, we actually entered into a five-year cohort with Habitat International and several other Habitat affiliates who were doing deep-dive neighborhood revitalization Mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. And uh, we began focusing in Macomb Vise. We built well over 40 houses there now over the past few years and also working to improve quality of life across the board, um, mm-hmm. partnering with the Macomb Vise Coterie and yeah. other resident-led initiatives and other coalition partners to really bring things to the neighborhood that the residents say we want to see. And of course, owner-occupied housing was one of those things, mm-hmm. and that's what we do. But we support the efforts of residents to improve their neighborhoods. That's great. So, yeah, you don't want to have too many rentals in any one neighborhood. No, and it, that was yeah. really the goal in Macomb uh-huh. Vise. It was a stated goal of their neighborhood plan to increase the balance towards homeownership and away from rentals, mm-hmm. which is the direction the neighborhood had been going. And originally, that neighborhood was almost exclusively owner-occupied. Yeah. Well, it's, these are some of the oldest neighborhoods mm-hmm. in Lafayette. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, these neighborhoods have been revitalized. Yeah. It's certainly an ongoing yeah. uh, effort. but It's a it's, ripple effect, though, right? Yeah. It's one house— you know, a new house goes up, then everybody kind of wants to right. look good also. Yeah, it know. really does have an impact. Mm-hmm. You see change happening in real time. You know, as we build a house or houses mm-hmm. together, you see a lot of other things happening in the in the same area. And that house that we're building on Frank Street is the first of what will probably be 10 homes on that corridor, just within a two-block area. And That's a, lot. a lot of the yeah. homes, six of them, actually, no, eight will be built on formerly adjudicated property mm-hmm. that we've been able to acquire through donation from LCG and have cleared the title and are now able to build homes that will be sold to families yeah. with marketable title mm-hmm. and revitalize a whole block that really, if you talk to people in Macomb Vise about Frank Street, they all kind of go, ooh, Frank. <laughs> uh, it's, it really you know, has been an area for a yeah. very long time that it's been in you know, people have had their eye on and said, we need to do something better yeah. here. It was just vacant property full mm-hmm. of trash and you know, sometimes not great activity. And yeah. now it's about to become a neighborhood of new houses. You mentioned the term adjudicated properties. Some people may have heard that but not understand what it is. And in these older neighborhoods, so many times someone owned the property, let's say back great-grandparents mm-hmm. even, and then they passed away and successions weren't done. And then mm-hmm. you, you know, you have the descendants that don't pay taxes. They don't even know they need to. It's right. like a total disconnect from the actual original ownership, if you can kind of touch on that. This is a big uh, transforming, I think, um, occurrence to have these Mm -hmm. properties put back in commerce. Yeah. And it's been, here in Lafayette, it's been a real source of of contention for a long time. Like, Mm -hmm. how are we going to do this? Other communities have set up various programs and methods of getting adjudicated property back into commerce. But here, I mean, I think there was a lot of concern that 
Um, most of them are in core neighborhoods, you know, predominantly African-American neighborhoods where people were concerned um, that— Taking their property. Yeah if, yeah, if somebody came along and set up a redevelopment authority that wasn't really listening to what the neighborhoods wanted, that they stood at risk of losing even more, you know, with— Developers came in from outside and did things that really are were not in keeping with what they wanted to see mm-hmm. happening in their neighborhoods. So the ordinance that we have now allows for disposition. It enables us to actually look to the state statutes, and one of them actually is called the Habitat for Humanity statute informally, but yeah. it's the one that enables donation to a nonprofit for redevelopment mm-hmm. of affordable housing. And which not is allowing what we do. gentrification. Right. right. And yeah, the trying prices to keep, just go up too much. Exactly. Uh-huh. Keep affordable housing in the neighborhood for people who already live there who may who maybe want to come back there. So, yeah. you know, that's how we operate and mm-hmm. try to operate under the guidance and with the input of the people who live in the area mm-hmm. around where we're building and trying to listen and take guidance about what we build. And when we first moved into Macomb Vise, they had some things to say about oh. the houses we were building and what they didn't want to see really? and what they did. <laughs> so, I mean, we kind of went to the drawing board with mm-hmm. designers and you know figured out like, yeah, we really do need to do a better job of addressing the outside and yeah. having porches. I and love, I know. Livable outdoor spaces. Porch and some rockers. And, yeah, yeah, and houses that fit with what's already in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, we've had some great architects work with us on designing homes. Jeff Jertson at yeah, UL and um, and Lisa Bork most recently actually took one of our floor plans and made it's a more contemporary kind of mid-century vibe on the outside. It's basically the same floor plan, but the house really fits in sort of that transitional space that's happening in the Laplace neighborhood, mm-hmm. which is another area where we're now focusing. And you can see several houses that were her design in that neighborhood that all of our homeowners now are kind of gravitating towards that plan. Mm-hmm. It looks different than the cottage-style homes that we built primarily in Macomb Vise, but it fits and it's what's wanted in yeah. the neighborhoods where we're building now. So yeah. uh, we do try to listen. I like that pocket neighborhood off of Pinhook. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just the homes yeah. are beautiful. Yeah. And there's a lot of them. Yeah, that's a 13-home subdivision. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much the the largest concentration of mm-hmm. homes that we've ever built. But, you know, what we mostly heard from the core neighborhood folks is they wanted to see scattered site infill, which most developers kind of back quickly away from because it's a challenge. Rather than, you know, building a subdivision, you're working on scattered sites. Maybe, you know, we try to build two or three houses at least together, Mm -hmm. um, but we can't always get enough property to do that. So we're doing scattered site. But the pocket neighborhood, we were able to put several Mm -hmm. different parcels together. We would actually like to do that again if the right opportunity arises. And also do it with other developers, somebody else who's maybe building for um, the market that can access a commercial loan. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, get some more moderate income buyers yeah. into the neighborhood. And, um, you know, we're looking for opportunities to mm-hmm. help support that as well, because we definitely hear that from right. the the neighborhood residents. Some people want to come back, but they don't qualify for a Habitat home. So what's there for them? You know, speaking of developers, um, Melinda, how do we get more affordable housing? You know, like I'm sure the 
the profit on a small, less expensive home is just minimal compared to some, you know, I hate to say river ranch, but like a large home that's got a lot of custom design. Like we really need more of these homes and Habitat can only build so many. Yeah, and it's hard to do because honestly, we, because we we're subject to the same market forces that everybody else is and we sell our homes at the appraised value. But the homes, although the appraised values are ticking up due to good mm-hmm. things happening in the neighborhoods and we're our own comps now pretty yeah. much. So um, in, in some areas anyway, um, we we sell the home at appraised value, but that isn't, Often, what it costs us to build. So, oh, you know, we're sometimes take we're upside down uh-huh. on that. And I mean, we do that because that's part of our mission is mm-hmm. to focus on, you know, creating wealth and creating a better space in the neighborhoods that we serve. But yeah. uh, not a not all builders can do that. Most, exactly. you know, for profit builders, that's not a business model that. Um, would be acceptable, that's yeah. sustainable. So, yeah. and even we, you know, struggle somewhat with that. So, mm-hmm. that is a it's a good question. You know, how do you get more people to develop? It's going to take other kinds of grants, probably, huh? Yeah, and, partnerships. And, you know, there is at the national level. I don't want to get too nerded out on housing stuff here, but at the national level, there's actually an act that has been contemplated and has some bipartisan support called the Neighborhood Homes Investment Act, which would actually provide some funding as an incentive for market rate developers to come in and build in an area where the home might not appraise for what it costs them to build to recapture some of what their loss would be, you know, on the the hope that eventually, mm-hmm. if that was incentivized enough, they could turn a neighborhood around and then, you know, the market yeah. would take over. Yeah. I don't know if we mentioned it, but on these home programs, the homes you're building, when people qualify and then they close with you, there's a 15-year requirement that it stay Mm -hmm. uh, in an affordable range and also only be sold to someone who's in a certain income bracket. So this isn't just something somebody can get and flip in five years and make a big profit. No. They have to sign on long-term. Yeah, not at all. And, you know, we have to be really clear with our homeowners as to what they're signing on for because it's not like signing a, a commercial mortgage where mm-hmm. you could conceivably turn right around and sell it for a profit. Um, you would have to sell it. There's a 15-year deed restriction on the homes that we build using home funds, which is almost everything that we build now. Mm-hmm. And the homeowners have to understand that if they were to sell the house in the first 15 years of their occupancy, although that amount of investment, original investment, is forgiven monthly by LCG per the terms of the deed restriction, they would have to pay some of it back Mm. if they sold to somebody who didn't qualify on the open market. So we just encourage them to involve us if they're contemplating a sale. Mm -hmm. Because it's not impossible to find a buyer who could qualify even for a market rate mortgage sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. at 80% AMI or below. Yeah. I just wanted people to understand that mm-hmm. it's a two-way street. Everybody's right. committed it is. to keeping and a neighborhood affordable. Yeah. And we do need to do some moves to ensure, I think, permanent affordability, maybe even beyond that. And there's not been much talk about this here, but the idea of having a land trust or um, a type of structure that would help ensure that affordability was permanent mm-hmm. okay. as opposed to Short term, 15 years. Right, right, which flies by. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. 
talk about Restore, please. I know you're out. Um, the big the big location is on the yes. freeway now. Uh, yeah, we consolidated Crow. all uh-huh. of our operations in the big store, yeah. uh, where we have about thirty thousand square feet um, and a lot of space to, to operate. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that is, of course, one of the ways that we generate funds for the program is when people donate items Mm -hmm. uh, to the store, we resell them at a price that's affordable to many people who wouldn't be able to access that whatever it is through a a regular retailer um, so they can buy it. It benefits them, but it also benefits us because that money goes Mm -hmm. back into supporting our programs. So. I went recently looking for office furniture and I didn't have success that day. I was, my assistant did. She went and bought two, mm-hmm. she found two chairs, some file cabinets. There is so many things there. I thought it was really more building supplies and furniture, but you have all kinds of things that you accept for donations. Right, we absolutely do. And we now, with the the store, the way it's currently set up, we pretty much divided the space into the building materials and kind of contractor side Mm -hmm. of the store uh, because we do also have some purchased product that we resell at a modest markup that— is great stuff for contractors who are doing small jobs. So we encourage them Mm -hmm. to shop the ReStore first. We really want to kind of build that contractor business. But the other side of the store is home furnishings and um, home decor and things that people need to furnish Mm -hmm. a house. And also books. I mean, I saw like a Uh whole law library. Somebody had donated all these books. Um, Clothes. Yeah, we get amazing books. Yeah, we have a, yeah. a small area where we get some people donate clothing to mm-hmm. us. And, you know, some of it we channel to Goodwill, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> since that's their primary line of, of business. But we do have some clothing in the store and people mm-hmm. shop there. And um, we have a lot of home decor. We get brand new lighting fixtures yeah. donated by a local business. And mm-hmm. so we have a large selection of those. So lots of different things um, that you can get at the store. And I want to emphasize, we will pick up— I was going to ask you, like yes. furniture I've donated. Mm-hmm. I, I, it was beautiful. I just, it just didn't really fit with what I needed anymore. Right. And I came and picked it up quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, we have right now. I think we're a couple of weeks out on pickups, but we we really try to turn those around. Yeah, that's not bad. Quickly, though. it's not bad, and we'll come and and you know take the mm-hmm. things that you set aside for us, and you don't have to try to load all that in your vehicle. Mm-hmm. Or I mean, in some cases, it's just impossible to you know move a large piece of furniture out of your house. So we will come and get those mm-hmm. things, and that's really something we want people to understand that they can schedule a pickup through our website. They can go there and actually schedule a pickup online. How many employees do you have? Ooh, with that's all a this, with Restore good question. And, you know, the builders. <laughs> uh, I and, think, I want to say it's just slightly north of 30. Wow. And that's everybody, mm-hmm. um, including all the Restore employees and, of course, the construction team and all of our program staff. So mm-hmm. uh, it's grown a lot over yeah. the last few years. When I started, it was just me and a part-time mm-hmm. uh, office manager. So, yeah. Yep. So you're always upbeat. Do you have to get the whip out sometimes? Get that staff oh, together? No, actually, we have a Keeler. Uh, Keeler Mitchell is, is our COO. Yeah, she gets the whip actually, out. Yeah. Uh, she's the person who has to do all that tough stuff. And Not I'm really. I know you don't need Keeler, that. Keeler, you know, long time worked yeah. for the United Way, uh-huh. and um, you know she's now with us. Yeah. And um, 
we we just have a great team. You, honestly, you have a great there's, team. there's not much um, whipping involved over there. None actually, because the the people who work for us are really, I think, driven by the mission. I mean, mm-hmm. they really see the importance of it, and they all bring some really different great things. You know, from their connections in the community, we right. have a couple of people who've been through recently in leadership Lafayette. Uh, Diamond Williams, our uh, now fundraising and development Mm -hmm. uh, manager, is um, basically was, I think, one of the top 20 under 40. And, you know, we have some great Tina, Mm -hmm. Shelvin Bingham. We have, and she's a force of nature. Very Um, much, very talented. Yeah. yeah. And And so sincere about, mm -hmm. you know, what her work is with McComb Visa and other. Yeah other organizations mm-hmm. too. So yeah, we have yeah. just a, a great team that brings a lot mm-hmm. to, to what we do and all of them are really dedicated to the mission. Yeah. If you had a wish list, is there anything that you'd like to see for Habitat? Wow. I didn't give you these questions ahead of time, but <laughs> That's, I had that question too. You did. So no, you were gonna yeah. get it one way or another. <laughs> right. <laughs> another <laughs> another Mackenzie Scott grant would be yeah. nice, but that oh. was that was amazing. Talk about um, that. Yeah, that she made a donation. It's been like two and a half-ish years ago, maybe a little bit more than that. Um, that was really completely under the radar. None of us knew that this was coming, but she chose um and and some a, a group of affiliates. We don't really know why she picked the ones that she chose, but uh, her foundation donated individually to, um, I, I can't even remember the number of affiliates across the U.S. network, but mm-hmm. it was maybe 80-some affiliates uh-huh. and made a donation to Habitat International as well. And I think she chose affiliates that were doing that kind of deep-dive neighborhood mm-hmm. revitalization work, as best we can tell. But uh, we just got a very mysterious call that actually some of the affiliates who got it thought was somebody fishing. They thought yeah, it like was a, a scam. scam. Yeah, they this were can't all be true. calling international going, what is this person calling us about a mysterious donor? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she It was generous? Yeah, it was very generous. Mm-hmm. Um, we got a $2.5 million donation from her and other affiliates, um, you know, got even larger donations. You got Habitat that International, yes. <gasps> got a, a $25 wow. million dollar donation. And oh that, you know, we've invested that in various ways yeah. a, a, across our operation. But um, oh my goodness, that, it would be nice to get another one of those. Yeah. But, you know, that's, that's really what I think I want people to understand is just even your small local donation, if you make a regular recurring monthly donation to Habitat, that gives us the opportunity to have funds we can bank on. Yeah. Um, so we, of course, always appreciate those and people who want to volunteer and get more mm-hmm. engaged in yeah. the work that we're doing. Right. Yeah. Well, Jason, do you have some questions for Melinda? I do. I do. Melinda, thanks for coming in today. Sure. Um, obviously, we we know of you guys. We've been partnering with you guys for a few years now. Yeah. Um, uh, and I've never met any of you. I've done so much work with oh. you guys. I've oh, never seriously? met any of you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're busy working. You guys okay. are busy working. Yeah. Uh, so first of all, I just want to like reiterate how great you guys are. When I moved into this town, I spent most of my money on the house, right? Just buying it and didn't have anything mm-hmm. left over. So the restore was amazing. Yes. But also your volunteers, we had a built-in bookshelf that was 14 feet long and eight feet high that we couldn't get out of the house. So we called you guys, you sent three people over the next day and I worked with them and within a half hour, it was out of our house and you guys wow. had a bookshelf. It was amazing. Uh-huh. Like what a good experience working with you guys. So thank you well, very much for that. that's great to hear. Um, let's, some of the easy stuff, website, Facebook, where's the location, Where where's Restore, all that stuff. Yeah, so our website is www.habitat.com 
Lafayette.org. There is actually, I think there's maybe three or four yeah, Lafayette habitats. So okay. the LafayetteHabitat.org is the um, Indiana affiliate. So but you guys are Habitat Lafayette, Laf- Indiana. But you're Habitat Lafayette. Yeah, HabitatLafayette.org. Okay. And you can jump to the Restore page from there. Got so ya. just go to that website and you'll be able to uh, access the Restore page on our website for information about the store and about uh, the pickups. You can schedule online. You can also schedule volunteer opportunities at our website. So uh, we have the landing page for our volunteer management system. Okay. And you can see the shifts that are available at both the Restore and the construction sites and any other volunteer opportunities oh, okay. we have. When we do big projects uh, in the neighborhoods, like for instance, we do a Martin Luther King weekend a community cleanup that's across the, oh, wow. the five coterie neighborhoods. And we'll post opportunities like that on our website so people can sign up for those. So if you go to that page on our website, you can see the different volunteer opportunities and you can create a profile, register as a volunteer, oh, okay. and then sign up. I would imagine you're always looking for more volunteers, I would imagine. Yeah, typically we are. Although on the construction site, we're very careful to keep the numbers down Mm -hmm. to a manageable number. We don't want like a group of 50 because honestly, we want everybody to have a great day and Mm -hmm. to get things done in a a fashion that actually advances us and doesn't mean we have to go back and fix a lot of stuff afterwards and too many volunteers yeah. on the construction site. It's dangerous and, too. Yeah, it's dangerous. Yeah. That makes sense. So, yeah. but the restore, you know, takes large groups and oh, okay. uh, can do projects that uh, you know, school groups, for instance, or, you know, teams that want to come out and do something together. Okay. They can also work at the ReStore. And that's not to say they can't work on the construction site. Sometimes we just have to divide the big ones up into two shifts, like a morning and afternoon. Gotcha. Shift. So that's what I was going to ask if if Raider decided, hey, we're going to do this thing mm-hmm. for Habitat team building exercise or whatever, is that something you guys can facilitate? Yeah. Our volunteer services uh, manager, um, Sarah Barbado, actually oh, can okay. work with your team to help kind of customize your experience. So um, okay. she can uh, engage with you to see what shifts are available, what dates would work out well for you, um, okay. you know, kind of get you oriented to how we need to, you know, divide people up into teams if that's necessary. Gotcha. And, you know, then we can create just a special experience for your team. That'd be, that's great. Mm-hmm. And and for us nine to fivers, you guys have hours outside of the nine to five that we could volunteer? Um, pretty much we work Tuesday through Saturday oh, okay. on the construction so site. So sa- Saturdays okay. are a great day for people who don't uh, don't have the ability to come out during the week. That's good. Gotcha. We yeah. do love those weekday work groups. I was gonna say, mm-hmm. That's probably where you need the most volunteers, mm-hmm. I would imagine. So, all yeah. right. Everybody out there with a little PTO. Yeah. Take a day off and go volunteer. Check out our website. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, in terms of building, do you guys do renovations as well or just building? Uh, we primarily do new home construction, but we're moving into yeah. um, the area of owner-occupied rehabs yeah. and okay. repairs. We actually have been able to access some funding through the Federal Home Loan Bank of Dallas to do some fortified roof replacements. That's they great. have a fund right wow. now yeah. that if somebody needs a new roof and they uh, and the qualifications are actually the income limits are higher than mm-hmm. our typical oh. income limits, but uh, we can work 
with them to get a new roof installed to fortified standards. It's, you know, there's a little bit more complication than that because the house has to be able to get a fortified roof, which a lot of older raised foundation houses, you can't do that for a variety of reasons. But we do those. Um, We also do some other grant funds that they have for, you know, people who are elderly or disabled. Um, We'll do repairs. Mostly we use contractors to do those repairs, but we'll be the intermediary to help the person secure the grant and qualify for it. We also have gotten some funds from LCG to start doing some targeted owner-occupied repairs in the neighborhoods that we serve, and we're about to roll that out on the Frank Street corridor. So uh, it's a limited amount of funds, but what we really want to do is, instead of having like a big open application process, we want to target the geographic area where we're working and help Mm -hmm. people who own their homes there make some improvements. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of that would be, of course, first structural improvements like like roofs and building envelope and things like that. I'm thinking of like a wall collapsing or something like that. the floor. Yeah, Yeah, it needs to, for safety, Mm -hmm. it needs to get done. Yeah, and a lot of it is is outside stuff, like the building envelope, because that's the first thing you have to secure before you really start working on the inside. You want to make sure that you don't have leaks, you don't have, you know, weather intrusion. So. Yeah. Um, that's what we're looking at doing there. But they have to own the home, right? They have yeah, to be the homeowner. Yeah, they need to be the homeowner. They need to have clear title to mm-hmm. the house. With LCG, that's a, yeah. a specific requirement of that funding. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, okay. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then talking about applications, what's the biggest hurdle or the thing that you run into that causes the biggest stopping of the process that— It would be helpful to get ahead of before somebody came to us. We always advise people, you know, when they reach out to us, that the best thing you can do is connect with one of the community providers of um, homeownership counseling. So, you know, work on getting your credit in better shape, you know, work on getting your income stabilized. Um, Lafayette Consolidated Government's Neighborhood Counseling Services has um, a housing counseling program, and they have specifically Mm -hmm. a homeownership um, training program, a component that brings in professionals from the industry to talk to people about becoming homeowners, but also these things apply to our folks as well. So really, it's just starting doing the work and working with with, um, you know, mm-hmm. somebody who can kind of hold you accountable and who can yeah. take you through some training. And there are also some great um, online programs. And First Horizon actually has a counselor on the premises at their Congress Street location. Uh-huh. They call it Hope Inside, and they have a great person who will work with people who come to them to do homeownership counseling mm-hmm. and to help people work on their credit and just generally get in a position where they would be more yeah. likely to qualify for a loan. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I know jumping into homeownership, I didn't know anything. So it, even just hearing some of these things, it's like, oh, there are resources out there. I just yeah. never knew to look. Yeah. Yep, yeah. there are. And the State Housing Finance Agency, uh, Louisiana Housing Corporation, has an online program through their website, which is, I think, lhc.la.com. Gov okay. that uh, people can go to and access uh, training for it's their homeownership uh, and financial literacy 
program mm-hmm. okay. um, that's online. So you can do it at your convenience and it'll provide you with a certificate. So, uh, okay. which sometimes is important, you know, to qualify yeah. for certain kinds of funding. Well, that's fantastic. Well, again, Melinda, thanks for coming down here today yeah. for taking some sure. time out of your day. I know you guys are busy, as we discussed before the mm-hmm. podcast. You guys, all sorts of stuff going on. So mm-hmm. uh, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming down yeah, here. Yeah, I really appreciate your letting me come and talk <laughs> oh about goodness. Habitat. Such and, a pleasure. Uh, for anybody listening, just feel free to get in touch. And we also are on social media, so mm-hmm. follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. You can see pictures of people like Jan did having fun on the construction <laughs> yeah, site. Yeah, I want to go do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a good way to get volunteers. So mm-hmm. Melinda Taylor, Executive Director of Habitat for Humanity, thank you for all the work you do for our community and making time today to be with us. And Jason Sakura, thank you for taping. I want to thank the people that really make this podcast possible. First of all, of course, Raider, taping in this, or recording, I should say, in this beautiful facility. Vimad and Oxner Lafayette General, thank you so much for your support. I also want to thank our loyal listeners. Um, If you haven't subscribed yet, please, you can get this podcast, Discover Lafayette, wherever you get podcasts. You can also visit discoverlafayette.net and find... 375 or so interviews, Melinda, that um, just a plethora of people from across our community. I'm very proud of the work we've done and the wonderful people we get to highlight. Thank you for listening today. On behalf of Discover Lafayette, this is Jan Swift. Mm-hmm.